Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and today's topic I've entitled Death by Infection. And the reason for that dramatic title is because infection is uh, very quickly becoming the number one killer of both men and women, at least in the United States. But this is a global issue. It's a worldwide problem. And much of the death by infection seems to be promoted by what's known as antibiotic resistance or bacterial resistance. Now today's show will focus mostly on bacterial resistance, but we also have resistance against viruses, fungi, parasites, and and other type of very virulent uh, organisms. So what we're facing today, in my view, is what I would call a catastrophe of untreatable infections, and again, particularly bacterial infections. What we're experiencing now in our lifetimes, which is only going to get worse every single day, and as the years roll by, is drug-resistant to antibiotics. It is absolutely rampant. And part of the, the cause of it is well-known, actually. Number one, we have the use of various anti-infectious drugs, particularly antibiotics. And for years, since the advent of antibiotics and their uh, beginnings of their regular use in medicine, approximately in the 1950s, we've had physicians recommending antibiotics without any real awareness of their deleterious effects. Now, we know that antibiotic resistance is a fact and it's quite apparent that there's global recognition of this problem. So, so it's known. And there is absolutely no real plan implemented to help protect you or me or anyone from the growing and worsening catastrophe of rampant bacterial resistance to antibiotics. I don't have to tell you that the problem without having a real plan to deal with bacterial resistance is nothing short of denial. Now again, medicine in general, and I can certainly uh, attest to that in the United States, is very keenly aware of bacterial resistance. And the only approach that seems to be on the horizon is an ongoing, and I admit, very strong and powerful effort of researchers to develop stronger and stronger antibiotics, except antibiotics are what got us in this mess in the first place. Now, the thing about nature, which includes bacteria and other infections, is that nature is very adaptable. Human beings are very resilient, and bacteria are even more resilient, predating the advent of human beings or probably any life on this planet. Things started with bacterial agents in terms of live organisms. I'm not saying that we shouldn't research, look at, and diligently try to develop drugs that might penetrate the resistant cellular walls of these infectious agents. But putting all our eggs in that basket is a, is a wrong decision. I think of it this way. You know, I had a plumber uh, repairing my kitchen sink not too long ago, and he was working on the sink for hours and hours. And I, and I read in a book on, on the repair of this particular problem that it should take an average of about 45 minutes for an experienced plumber, and, and maybe uh, up to two hours for someone who's not experienced. And this plumber had a set of tools with him. And after a while, I said to the plumber, do you think you need a new set of tools? And he said, listen, I, I've, been, I've been working on this now for quite a long time. I'm going to get this done. I'll make this happen. Well, 
The long and short of it is that this plumber's tools did not work. He was clearly working hard. He very much wanted to fix the sink. He wanted to get the job done. But here's the, here's the caveat. His tools were the wrong tools for the job. Meaning, if we try to deal with the antibiotic resistance problem by using the wrong tools or tweaking those tools over and over again when they simply will not work, we will get nowhere fast. So until the magic bullet of medicine comes along, I hope it happens, to kill these resistant organisms before they wipe us out, I think it behooves each and every one of us to take daily steps to improve our body's innate intelligence, in other words, your body's ability to deal with infection. So I'm going to be speaking about a number of lifestyle and nutritional strategies, including nutritional supplementation, which I think is absolutely essential, that should have several impacts upon the antibiotic resistance uh, problem and your body's immune resiliency against uh, these resistant organisms. Now, for those of you just joining us, my, my name is Dr. Mike Wald. I've been nicknamed the Blood Detective, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. If you have questions about this show or comments or any other show topics you want me to do, this show title, in fact, was suggested by a listener, which I'm very grateful for. Please email me your show topic or questions to info at blooddetective.com. My website is www.integratednutrition.com. NY.com. And for those of you who want to see me or want to speak with me about your health concerns, I offer distance consultations. I have patients in various states, even in different countries. We work uh, over the phone, sometimes by Skype and always through email. Or you can see me at my office in Westchester, New York, which is about just under an hour north of New York City. Okay, back to the concept here. Now, I am not claiming, I cannot claim, I must give a disclaimer that I am not suggesting that the nutritional enhancements I'll be discussing are a replacement for the standard of care in medicine, meaning antibiotics, for bacterial infections. What I am stating is that optimal nutrition in an individual, that means you, could have a number of critical effects, could make the difference between life and death not to mention quality of life when it comes to chronic infections. Nutritional supplements, improvements in the diet, both of these factors have been studied in uh, all manner of, uh, of medical health and nutrition journals. And there is very, there's a very clear evidence base that an individual who has a, a stronger immune resiliency, which by the way is directly affected and indirectly affected by what you eat, and what you absorb, and even nutritional supplements. So I am of the school of thought that the cleanest diet in the world, and you all know what that is, eating uh, little or no refined and processed sugars and carbohydrates and white flours and fried foods, including saturated and trans fats, and pro-inflammatory foods that might include gluten for some people, uh, GMO or genetically modified foods, uh, animal products. I am, of again, of the school of thought that we should eat lower down in the food chain, meaning organic and free-range whenever possible, fruits and vegetables in uh, large amounts, and for those of you who are thinking, oh, fruits, that sugar, sugar's bad for infections. You know, I was speaking with a patient yesterday, and she was aware of this concept of, of sugar uh, being bad for, let's say, fungal infections. And she was not wrong, except she made no distinction between types of sugar. The body would, would, could not survive, could not repair. The immune system cannot work without glucose molecules acting as energy upon all of our cellular mechanisms to get work done, like the work of immunity to deal with a fungal infection or a bacterial or a viral infection or a parasitic infection, you name it. So I would like to direct you to my show, Sugar, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which you can listen to on the prnfm.com archives or just go to my website at www.integrated nutritionny.com. Go to the blogs. You'll see the shows. You can call me at 914-242-8844. 
if you want me to work with you personally, if you have a particularly, uh, you know, a particular interest or, or need to deal with this problem of the catastrophe of untreatable bacterial infections or any other type for that matter. Nutrition is a critical adjunct to standard treatments, but standard treatments for infections, meaning antibiotics, are working less and less. The facts are that there are more and more bacterial strains that are, are evolving in, in just naturally and also unnaturally because they're adapting to standard medical treatments. So antibiotic resistance is now at such, such a critical juncture that it doesn't matter if you never touch an antibiotic. Let me say that again. Many of you may be under the mistaken impression that you don't have to worry about antibiotic resistance because you are holistically minded, you want to do things naturally, you've either never taken an antibiotic or you will not take an antibiotic. That's what some of you have communicated to me. Now, all I want to point out is that it doesn't matter if you take an antibiotic, you will still potentially develop antibiotic resistance in a number of important ways. I'll be speaking about these very soon. So, you will want to listen to this show, maybe more than once, again, whether you've never taken an antibiotic or if you've taken an antibiotic and you seem to be fine, but resistant organisms may very well be in your body. And if they don't affect you now, they certainly may affect you at a later point. This is the global problem of antibiotic resistance. A person gets a, what was once an easily treatable type of infection, they fail to respond to antibiotics, more and more and different types of antibiotics are prescribed and more and more individuals are dying from what were once easily eradicated infections. And these infections are persistent and they wreak havoc on our health. Now, the trickiest type of infections are those infections that involve what are known as gram excuse me, gram-negative bacteria. Now, these gram-negative bacteria strains, which include uh, bugs that you've heard of like E. coli and salmonella, have almost entirely impermeable cell walls that protect them from antibiotics. So impermeable means that the cell walls that make the physical coating of these bugs, just like the skin on you would be an analogy, your skin to the impermeable membrane of these cells, the antibiotics are failing to break them down. There have been studies that improved nutrition in a number of ways. Could, number one, assist antibiotics in breaking down that impermeable cell wall getting inside of the infections and destroying them from the inside out. Now, as you know, there are many, many types of infections. So when we use the term antibiotics in a general sense, we're really referring to a large class of varying types of antibiotics that work on different aspects of bacterial infections. It might, some antibiotics would target the cell wall, other antibiotics target a protein, what's known as protein synthesis in these bugs. The different methods and different types of antibiotics are far beyond the scope of this short radio show to, to really tackle. But when the body's nutrition and innate immune resiliency is present, then all of these different mechanisms don't matter, meaning the body can manage these bugs. Can it manage uh, healing bacterial infections every time? Is that guaranteed when you improve your attrition? No way. There are no guarantees. And I will tell you something else. There's absolutely no way that just a strong probiotic, which is a healthy uh, bacteria like Lactobacillus acidophilus or Lactobacillus plantarum or bifidobacterium, the list goes on and on. Many people stop short by just taking a probiotic when they're on an antibiotic, or they take these probiotics thinking that they do not have to intelligently combine and consider other nutrition. So absence of symptoms, by the way, absence of obvious infection does not let you off the hook. These resistant bugs, along with many other types of infections like viruses, they are in us all the time. In fact, there is some interesting uh, calculation that says we have more bacteria in our colon 
then there are known uh, visible stars in the universe. The point is that these bugs are in us, viruses are in us, they lie dormant. Or they may not lie dormant, they may be causing deleterious effects upon our bodies. For example, viruses causing abnormal cells to form in the cervix of a woman, uh, giving her cervical, what's known as cervical dysplasia or cervical metaplasia, which is a cancerous type of condition. Many types of cancers are formed by viruses. Are you hearing that? We're not talking about having just a cold. Most individuals that I speak with, even the most intelligent sometimes have a disconnect. They feel that if they don't have symptoms of what they think an infection should feel like, they're fine. Many health problems, a laundry list of health problems, almost any you could name, could have their cause in one or more infections working under the surface. And to give just two quick examples, uh, Conditions, diseases, health problems like meningitis, uh, meningitis and, and urinary tract infections, UTIs, these are tougher and tougher and tougher to get over. I have patients now with UTIs. They have been on several rounds of antibiotics, several rounds of antifungals. Uh, the testing is, is not showing these bugs, maybe because uh, of a lot of different reasons. But my, my point is that it behooves us to combine nutrition specifically to offset our risks of developing various infections in the first place. Also using nutrition to improve our immune system's resiliency. I said immune systems, not system. If you listen to my show, uh, Everything Immune, you will learn uh, the details of our three major immune systems, the complement immune system, the humoral immune system, and the cell-mediated immune system. So when you hear that this or that other supplement or food or diet plan or what have you, or natural treatment is the best for the immune system, you need to be very suspicious of that because there isn't an immune system to begin with. There are immune systems. And we need to target them specifically for the individual. If we just go about this in a generalized way, well, with nutrition, for the most part, is very safe. But we know that many fat-soluble nutrients, like uh, decosinohexanoic acid, or DHA, may help to actually improve the penetration of antibiotics into tissues past that impermeable cell membrane. Or for those of you who do not have a concern about an active infection, but you want to help your, your cells work better against infection, you might also want to take DHA liquid. I, I provide that product too on the Blood Detective website because it, re, it reduces the stiffness of cell walls, makes them more permeable. In the entire body, cells become more fluid, potentially, and this means cells work better against any infection. And we know that nutrients such as vitamin D, and vitamin A and vitamin E, which are the fat-soluble nutrients, the doses need to be right based on a person's body size, but more accurately their metabolic rate and their, and their lean body mass. This is something easily measured. I do this on every single patient to figure out the appropriate calories, foods, protein, carb, fat intake, and the dosing of certain nutrients. If you combine healthy lifestyle and perhaps the right nutritional supplements at the right doses in the right combinations, you'll basically set yourself up for a, a multi-targeted attack on even the best armed bacteria. And if you do choose to use antibiotics as well, then the addition of nutrition is going to help break down cell walls. And this is important, I haven't mentioned this yet. When the cell walls of bacteria break down, there is an increase in the production of what are known as reactive oxygen species, or ROSs. So you've heard of antioxidants, right? And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, but you're telling me that bacteria are broken down in the body through reactive oxygen species. Those are also called oxidants. So you might be thinking, well, if oxidants help the body break down 
bacteria and other infections, by the way, and also cancer cells and things of that nature, we know that this is true, then why would I want to take antioxidants? Okay, this is a key point. The term antioxidant and oxidant, and I'll be brief on this one, are misnomers. Meaning, if you want to promote potentially, there's no guarantees in any of this, but this is reasonable. If you want to promote your body to better produce reactive oxygen species or oxidants, your cellular health and your organs, tissues, and glands need to be working well, right? Well, you might improve your diet in, in ways that we all would agree would be healthy, like some of the suggestions I made earlier. You might take nutritional supplements. Now, here's the point. If your organs are working better and your immune system is in good shape, your white blood cells, when they go to uh, the areas in the body where there are bacterial infections, will release oxidants. And oxidants are like a flame. They burn out and break down these bacteria potentially. But you have improved your health by taking antioxidants so that your body can more aggressively produce oxidants. So we hear that oxidants a lot, at least I hear this on radio shows, I read it in magazines and even some books, that they are bad. This is absolutely wrong. They are good or bad depending on the context. For example, intravenous vitamin C, you know, you've heard vitamin C is an antioxidant. Well, it is orally, maybe, but intravenously, it almost always acts as an antioxidant. Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Intravenous vitamin C acts as an oxidant, the exact opposite of what you've heard vitamin C is. So once again, vitamin C, we've heard is an antioxidant, but when it's put in an IV bag and dripped into a body through in a vein, it tends to act as an oxidant. Now, I'm not saying people need to run out there and get intravenous vitamin C. In fact, I do not think most people need to do that at all. So let's get practical here for a minute. Now, the supplements that I provide, they have not been specifically studied against uh, bacterial infections, but many of the, if not most, well, I would say many of the compounds within them I have chosen because there is an evidence base for them to help improve immune resiliency and help assist the body eradicate infections, whether they are used with antibiotics appropriately in the right timing or instead of. I mean, we get infections all the time, and we certainly did long before our antibiotics were around and other anti-infectious uh, agents because our body can, can do things. It can survive. Of course, now we have individuals surviving far more than they did uh, even now with, without the advent of antibiotics and survival of the fittest has it that the bacteria that have been killed off by the use of antibiotics have killed a bunch of bugs. Picture this in your mind, a big pile of bacteria, right? You use antibiotics, you, you, you reduce the pile. But it never kills everything necessarily. You have mutations, adaptations of bacteria, and they are tougher and tougher and tougher to kill. This is the antibiotic-resistant problem. Nutrition can offset this. In fact, I personally believe that if nutrition is done right, it could help antibiotics treat a much wider range of infections. And we know that some of that work has been done with silver, for example, but for those of you on the silver bandwagon, just take it back a couple of notches because silver is no silver bullet, okay? Uh, you have to manage your overall nutrition intelligently and there are different supplements beyond silver that are likely important too, if not more important than silver. Now, if you've ever eaten a piece of meat or chicken or some sort of animal product from uh, an animal factory farm that has fed those animals antibiotics and other drugs, then you have been consuming, you've been consuming and potentially have been exposed to resistant organisms, not to mention the hormones and other, other crap uh, in these animals, in the flesh of these animals, along with their stress hormones being, you know, they're terrorized, and then you consume stress hormones, and then that makes you a bit stressed. But my point, though, is we know 
for a fact that by eating these animal products and also uh, non-organically uh, grown plant products, because if you're spraying plants, crops with herbicides, fungicides, pesticides, you are going to create resistant organisms even on those. And then some of you are thinking, well, no, 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 I, I eat organically. But that doesn't quite keep you out of the, uh, out of the loop in, in the sense that there is no such thing as 100% organic. And, uh, and again, that's, that's probably the topic of another show. So I think it's safe to say that all of us are in the same boat when it comes to a need to develop strategies for resistant bacterial infections and to help combat the issues of antibiotic resistance that are promoted by eating foods. Now, if the person next to you has ever taken an antibiotic or, or you know, years of antibiotics here, there, and here and there, most of the population has been exposed to antibiotics several times in their lives. There are, even when they get over the infections and the antibiotics seem to work, there, there are generally resistant organisms in the person. When that person sneezes and bacteria are in the droplets in the air, what's called the aerosol route, and they land on some surface that you touch or you shake their hand or what have you, these are some of the ways that bacterial infections are transferred from person to person. You know, medicine, uh, as they should be, are concerned with the, the big, obvious bacterial infective killers, the real resistant bugs, these menaces uh, that you find in hospitals, like MRSA or MRSA infections, and also a Clostridium difficile, which comes from the French term, difficult to kill. These very horrific infections are the most obvious ones. Medicine sometimes forgets the not-so-obvious ones, which plague uh, and bacteria are within practically everyone on this planet. My point in bringing this up is that we know that Clostridium difficile, for example, which causes a horrific uh, acute and chronic long course of diarrhea kills hundreds of thousands of people in hospitals every year. And that's the hospital-acquired variety of C. difficile. And then there is the one in the general population. And it's not exactly separated, but there are people that, can, that are walking around that when you shake their hand or you're in their coughing stream, you can get resistant Clostridium difficile in the public domain. And in your body, that C. diff, as it's called, infection may be disastrous for you, but the other person's a carrier. So this goes to another point today that I'm mentioning now, is that there are people that are carriers. Medicine has, a, uh, has an interesting term for them. It calls these people sick, but in the sense of they have vertical illness, which means they're standing straight up vertically to the ground, as opposed to horizontal illness, and they're not symptomatic. They may one day become symptomatic. So, for example, if you have resistant organisms in your body, which I promise you that is likely the case, and sadly I'm included in that because I live on the earth, you might do just fine for a while in terms of symptoms. But as you age in this very polluted and unnatural and toxic environment, which we call the, the earth, sadly, as your immune system plummets over time, those bugs that were seemingly innocuous in you, not causing obvious problems, start to transform, start to become more aggressive, and that is one way to get, and a very common way by, you know, uh, you know just factually and known in medicine, that uh, people um, acquire and develop infections. So in other words, your innate immune system takes a, you know, a spiral down, down course and the bugs within you say, hey, this is our chance. We're not being suppressed by the immune system. Let's, uh, you know, it's like the Hulk. They just take on a whole new transformation. And there's, there's a term in microbiology, the study of these bugs, and it's called pleomorphism. You know, I have patients that come in with stool testing results, and they'll say, look, my, the doctor said that there are these bad bugs in me. Well, that may be true, but 
most of us carry, or many, much of the population carries these so-called bad bugs. But in some individuals, these bugs never create a problem. And in other individuals, they, they kill them or, or really detrimentally affect their health. So again, the difference is not just the exposure to the bug, but the environment within which the bug exists. So if you have a bacteria in your body, let's say in your intestinal tract, in your colon, or in your small intestine, but your immune system can, can uh, stave its uh, growth and reproduction and aggressiveness, then you're good. But if it can't do that, you're not good. And nutrition is largely responsible for that innate resiliency. You know, scientists have found resistant bacteria in, in Alaskan ice masses, for example. Uh, the problem is absolutely permeated literally every inch of the planet, of course, including polar ice caps. You know, I, I wanted to mention, uh, maybe expand for a moment just on something I said earlier about, you know, livestock uh, being uh, injected with antibiotics for the most part to help uh, treat and offset respiratory diseases and, and other types of infections like uh, salmonella and E. coli in livestock. And I think it, it behooves also, um, you know, we're talking about livestock, let, let's, uh, animals and pets as well uh, are, are given antibiotics uh, in the same sorts of irresponsible ways by some veterinarians, not all. But it, therefore, it behooves every veterinarian, uh, public health officials to stamp out the, the overuse and improper use of antibiotics. But even when we do that, even if we hold off using antibiotics for the fewest issues, even when they're used in the appropriate ways, uh, they're still problemsome. So once again, we're back to that main point. How do you re increase your resiliency? I want you to get a pen and piece of paper ready because in the next few minutes, I'm going to be giving you a list of nutritional interventions. You know, another horrifying example to me of antibiotic resistance, which is passed on from person to person, is through drinking water. Water uh, often contains, always contains bacteria. And why couldn't bacteria and water also carry antibiotic-resistant bacteria that you then ingest. And because, for example, you might not have normal stomach acid to digest and break down the cell wall uh, and protein structure of bacteria, it gets through your stomach into your small intestine. And because maybe through a lifetime of stress or aging or medications or illness or any other reason, you have a leaky gut situation where the the structure of the small intestine, the uh, what they call the tight junctions between cells start to slip apart. There's more space. Uh, we have these bacteria seeping in to the bloodstream, seeding the body. And then maybe that bacteria goes to the liver or maybe it goes to the brain or maybe just the brain stem promoting Alzheimer's disease and dementia or wherever that bacteria sequesters or hides itself. And given the innate immunity and health of that organ, organ dysfunction can occur, which doesn't look anything like what you might think an infection might look like. But the point here is that even our water supply, we know our air supply can pass on uh, bacterial uh, resistant organisms. It is absolutely essential. What are, what are, how can we possibly manage our immune systems against all these external potential sources of resistant bacterial resistant organisms. And, and also the question uh, is uh, raised, and as I've emphasized, is how do we improve our innate resiliency, our internal universe, along with the external universe? Well, again, nutrition and improving your nutritional immunity that's what you expose yourself to when you have water, when you breathe the air, when you touch a surface. So it all comes down to you. You are the common denominator, as they say. I want to make a brief mention of biological warfare. You know, the thought of chemical and biological warfare uh, terrifies us. At least it terrifies me. 
What is it in the human psyche that makes being attacked with conventional weapons that, that kill and maim somehow more acceptable than being attacked with molecules that alter the body's chemistry or with organisms that cause disease? You see, there's a parallel here. We know that these organisms are powerful and can kill us. And I fear, not to incite any fear, this is not my, uh, my, only my opinion, there's, there's, this is a fact that the risk of biological warfare uh, by those who are expert in this area is very, very real. So sadly, I think that world's event, world events have, have conspired really to increase the threat of the use of all kinds of chemicals and biological weapons. And uh, in addition, the, the, the very nature of war is changing. You know, we no longer expect uh, a war to last years, you know, as World War II did, but rather days. You know, we saw this with the Persian Gulf War. Worse, the weapons of war have also changed. Many countries do or could possess chemical and biological agents bypassing the tremendous financial outlay required to acquire conventional weapons. It's just cost effective. And, and I bring this up because, you know, biological and chemical weapons, they don't kill every person that's exposed to them. Very similarly, a person exposed to a given dose of radiation, if it were equivalent to yet another person exposed to that radiation, would not necessarily die or have the same uh, symptoms or impact. Again, my point is it all comes down to individual resiliency. I had done a short uh, show on Channel 12 News in Westchester, which you can find on the, the homepage of my website, right at the bottom, or in the video section. I have over 50 videos on all sorts of topics where I discussed uh, Indian Point and how we know there, is, uh, there are problems there. And uh, this was right around the time uh, the Japanese meltdown had occurred a few years back. And I talked about how uh, there were studies that show that um, animals exposed to radiation who had higher levels of antioxidants were far more resistant to the destructive nature of radiation. And that also may be true of exposure to infectious agents. In fact, we know it is. Of course, biological warfare is on a whole other level, but still... That's just another reason in my mind to improve your health as much as possible. It's one thing to, to wear a hazmat suit or some other sort of protective suit for biological agents, but I hope you get it on in time. You know, it's like we talk about the use of iodine to help protect the thyroid because if you take iodine, it sort of fills up certain molecular spaces in the thyroid such that when your thyroid is exposed to radiation, it wouldn't uh, be... Uh, so affected. Uh, this is potentially true, and that's great for your thyroid, but what about the rest of you being exposed? I mean, if you wrap your whole body in aluminum foil, you'll off offset your exposure to radiation, some of it, because it bounces off. But these are impractical. Although I might include uh, aluminum foil, for example, and iodine, along with uh, nutritional uh, powders and, and things of that nature in survival kits. So let's get to some practical points here regarding the use of nutrition for overall health and well-being. So I mentioned earlier the concept of when, you're, uh, when you eat uh, foods, no matter what the foods are, even if you're a vegetarian, you may be exposed to uh, bacterial agents and resistive ones. The first step is you must have adequate digestive capacity. I, uh, under supervision, I perform a uh, stomach acid loading test with the use of my betaine hydrochloride, hydrochloride. So my betaine hydrochloride, which you'll see on the Blood Detective website, is basically stomach acid and pepsin. And I try to determine the amount of this product that a person might benefit from in terms of restoring what is known as achlorhydria or hypochlorhydria, low or no stomach acid. So the, the, the first line of immune defense really from bacteria and other infections is the stomach. So I figure out bacterial, uh, sorry, betaine hydrochloride or stomach acid need first. Then foods go down in the body and they may hit the small intestine. In fact, they will. And the small intestine environment needs to have a certain pH, it needs to have a certain resiliency. That micro environment, that milieu, uh, so to speak, of the gut, 
has to be such that it creates a hostile environment for uh, infective resistant organisms in our foods that we've consumed. So that brings us to digestive enzymes. I use my uh, detox absorb digestive enzyme concentrate, which has protein, fat, and carbohydrate digesting uh, enzymes, but enzymes also break down uh, partially or even fully, there's research is still out there on this one, uh, the cell walls of these resistant bacteria help denature them, helps to cook them. So I perform uh, a an enzyme loading test where I help the, which helps me determine the ideal uh, enzyme dose for individuals. Now we need stomach acid and we need uh, pancreatic enzymes to digest uh, these organisms. And then there is the use of uh, glutamine. So I produced a glutamine powder, uh, and all of my products are of the finest. Uh, quality because not everything you purchase in stores has that quality. We know that the New York State Attorney General's office just a couple of years ago examined many store-bought nutrients and, and determined that most of them don't even have what they say on the label or they're loaded with contaminants. And it doesn't matter what you hear from the company about how great their own supplements are. You'll want to listen to my show called Vitamin Lies and you'll also want to listen to my show called What's in Those Supplements, which was the title of the New York uh, Times article, uh, which was based on some uh, investigative reporting uh, done by Dateline. So enough said about that at the moment. So just to recap, number one, betaine hydrochloride supplementation. Number two, uh, detox absorb, which is my enzyme product. Then the third thing I mentioned is glutamine. Glutamine is uh, the most abundant amino acid in the body. It's an immune modulator. And it's absolutely critical for repairing leaky gut or repair of, of the intestinal cells called the enterocytes. And uh, there is an immune system in the small intestine. In fact, it's estimated that about 70% of our immune system is in uh, the small intestine in these areas called pyrus patches. We also have an immune system in our liver, which are called the cuffer cells. We'll get to that in a moment. But with glutamine, I tend to like to base the dose on one's lean body mass that I measure through what's called an impedance test. But the minimum dose recommendations on my containers should suffice. But again, very, very important. If you take just probiotics, remember those health, and you do not manage the environment within which you're placing the probiotics, you're probably wasting your, your time and money, if not, not maximizing the effects of your probiotics. So let's talk about probiotics for a moment. I produced a product called Superbugs, and I named it Superbugs because when more, as more and more people and investigators are interested in managing the antibiotic-resistant problem, Superbugs is a key word used in scientific literature. And I'm hoping that that title uh, will help, uh, and keywords within my website will help direct them to considering the use of probiotics. The probiotic doses need to be very high, and the dose of probiotics should be considered against some other supplements. But remember, it's not, it's not just the dose of the probiotic. It's the resiliency of those healthy bugs. You know, manufacturers or producers of uh, the raw materials of probiotics from which I uh, indirectly uh, get my good bugs from, there are different levels of strength of these bugs. So different levels of strength of these bugs, that's not apparent when someone says, well, I'm going to give you 220 billion organisms in this supplement called Supplement A probiotic, and Supplement B probiotic has 220 billion as well, except those ones aren't you know, cooked or fried from heat processing. So you need to, you know, you have to trust your practitioner uh, to do this investigative work. So I, I do a probiotic sort of loading test, and I use my Superbug products. Or I may just start a, uh, one of my patients out with uh, two of the Superbugs twice per day. One of my baseline recommendations, of course, is to eat lower down on the food chain, as I've mentioned. And even with that, I believe it's imperative to include superfoods in the diet. So I've produced detox 
one, two, three, and four, which are four powdered products, each of which contains specific concentrates of certain plant elements. And I'll start every one on a half of a tiny scoop of each of these products, all mixed together in water to taste, which have the nutritional equivalent of dozens and dozens and dozens of different plant products. Now again, plant products include fruits. Now, fruits contain, for the most part, fructose, except grapes, which have glucose. They're the only fruit that has glucose. But my point is that if fructose were consumed alone as just a fructose molecule, that we know is, is potentially harmful. We used to think it was great for diabetics, and then, oops, nope, not right. Uh, although I never agreed with that. But my point is, when fructose is within the plant, a dehydrated plant superfood, along with the possibly hundreds if not thousands of phytonutrients and, and very important compounds for our health, they work very, very differently. Remember, context is everything. And the type of sugar matters, just like the type of cholesterol matters. You know, good and bad cholesterol, we don't just say cholesterol is bad. HDL or the happy cholesterol <laughs> doesn't really stand for happy. But uh, we know that that's different than LDL cholesterol or high triglycerides. The same with sugars. This is something I find so difficult to, uh, to retrain some of my patients to think. I have people not eating fruits. Now you're thinking, what if they have a fungal infection? Again, it's not correct not to eat fruits. There are immune modulators in fruits that could help those infections. So my point though is, again, back to that show, sugar, the good, the bad, the ugly, I explain a lot of that there. So the detox one through four products I place everybody on. I also use a product I produce called Detox Immunoglobulin G, or Immunoglobin G, IgG. Now, we have an immunoglobin immune system. That's one of the types of our immune system. That immune system is critically important to creating a certain intestinal environment that is not so hospitable to resistant microorganisms or the transformation of organisms normally in us to more aggressive forms. Remember what I said earlier, if you have bacteria in you that are uh, they're sort of dormant. They're, they're known as potentially pathogenic. They might cause disease, but they may not if the environment that they live in it does not allow them to transform. We know, we know that the immunoglobin immune system is critical for this. In the, within the mucus protective layer of the gut, also the respiratory tract, okay, for respiratory exposed pathogens that we get from touching surfaces and we breathe them in through the aerosol route, there is what is known as the immunoglobin A immune system. That's the barrier immune system that helps protect and repair against leaky gut and degenerative changes. And also, this immunoglobin acts as sort of like a glue to hold the healthy probiotics in the gut. Now, let me back up for a moment. I said I produce immunoglobin G, and now I'm talking about immunoglobin A. Think of them as the same things, because they're not, but immunoglobin G also helps the body produce immunoglobin A. And I have immunoglobin A in an oral form. It's, it's a capsule. I generally start health, apparently healthy people on one of them twice per day, but a person may need much more if they're overweight or they're sick or they have been sick or depending on their health goals. Now, I mentioned my Superbugs product, which has several varieties of what are considered uh, beneficial bacteria. One example is Lactobacillus acidophilus. But there's another probiotic that I produce which is called uh, Saccharomyces boulardii. Now, I provide this one and have almost all of my uh, clients on it because Saccharomyces boulardii is an antifungal probiotic, more directly. But then again, my Superbugs product and any products that has, you know, pharmaceutical grade healthy bacteria are also antifungal. So the truth of the matter is that. Uh, superbugs or lactobacillus acidophilus, again, that's one example of one ingredient in that, is not only antibacterial, it's anti-infectious across the board.
so might be Saccharomyces boulardii. So again, Saccharomyces boulardii is typically known as an antifungal probiotic, but it's not strictly that. that. That We just say that sometimes because it's convenient, and it's true, but it's not only that. I mentioned much earlier in my conversation the use of DHA, not DHEA, which is adrenal hormone, but DHA. Have you heard of EPA DHA? I'm sure you have. Fish oil? Well, the DHA component, and I prefer it in a liquid form, form that's what I produce, when, you're, you, when it's consumed, it helps to coat the intestinal tract. So it may have a local reparative effect, but it's very well absorbed through the gut. Even with people with malabsorption, if you're over 50, you probably have some level of malabsorption, just statistically. And you might say, really? I don't have any intestinal or gut problems or belly problems, stomach problems. It, you don't have to. If you malabsorb, any problem, anything at all, can masquerade uh, as a disease, but may have had its origin um, in malabsorption over the course of years. So back to DHA. This particular omega-3 helps to improve the fluidity of your cells, the cell membranes. That's the areas around cells. And nutrition has to get through that. But when you improve the fluidity of the cell membranes, listen to this point. It's so, it's so convenient, a, a convenience of nature that the cell just works better. So it allows nutrients to get in. It also allows certain drugs to, to penetrate more deeply. So if you're going to take antibiotics or you're going to receive any sort of oral medication, some of these medications are known to have improved uptakes deeper into the cell. With DHA, which also is an anti-inflammatory and it's an antioxidant, it helps reduce blood viscosity or thickness, which is something infections tend to promote. DHA is known to be an immune modulator. That's another misnomer, remember? There's immune modulator, this is the term I'm just introducing. But most of you keep hearing, oh, immune boost, immune boost. Sometimes we want to boost the immune system. But other times in hyperimmune conditions, like autoimmune conditions, we want to bring it down. So these misnomers are super confusing. That's why I like the term biologic response modifier. So I tend to start people with DHA at one teaspoon twice a day, and more depending on their health issues. Vitamin D, to move on, is another example of an anti-infectious compound. Yep, vitamin D is not actually a vitamin, it's a pro-hormone. And as you know, it's, it's always been, it's been big the last decade or so in pretty much every area of healthcare. I still see doctors getting the dose wrong. The range in adults is about 30 to 100. The average vitamin D in the population is about 50. Most doctors say if you're about 50, you're good, you don't have to worry, but that's not true in my opinion. Research shows the higher normal your vitamin D, the better for overall morbidity mortality. Remember when I started off this show that infectious disease is quickly becoming the number one killer. So vitamin D is an immune modulator. Yes, it also helps bones. Yes, it helps produce other hormones. Yes, it's an anti-cancer uh, uh, adjunct. All of those things, but you need to have the right dose. It's not enough that you just take it. And if you did have a low level previously, uh, and depending on your body weight and all of that, but if you're less than 30, you were supposed to be given and prescribed 50,000 units of vitamin D3 once a week for probably about two months. Then you recheck those levels. If you're overweight, it's about 100,000 a week. And it's better to take that the larger dose that seems to work much better than smaller doses daily, at least when you're trying to correct vitamin D issues uh, to begin with. There have been studies that low vitamin D or inadequate vitamin D promotes an increased risk of lower respiratory tract infections, just to name one sort of infection. If it works for that, it clearly is working on the immune system, which can help against many infections potentially. Once again, I'm not claiming that nutrition should be used instead of any standard of care in medicine for infections. But depending on your philosophy and where you live, I certainly am in this place, 
I want to promote my innate immunity and I am not waiting for some magic bullet. And I certainly am not waiting for one supplement, whether it's one probiotic or just colloidal silver, something like that to do the job. That does not make sense. Our body is far more complex than that. It needs a variety of things. And those are some of the, I'm giving you some of my opinions right now. So what I'm talking about here is how to improve your nutritional intake in the form of more concentrated nutritional products that might give you an advantage against resistant organisms and or may help antibiotics work better. Another one, one of my top picks is um, something I call active folate, which has the L5-methyl tetrahydrofolate type of folic acid, which is antiviral and also has antibacterial effects. And I always give it with a sublingual methylated form of B12, which I call a B12 super sublingual. And I'll generally give around 1,000 micrograms of each of those two products. But again, as the blood detective, I do laboratory work on individuals. I look at multiple systems at once. And then I, I try to adjust the doses in a more personalized way for each individual. Besides laboratory tests, and we're not just talking about vitamin levels, but tests of vitamin use, tests of malabsorption, all of these these things make the difference, particularly a body composition because a person who has a low level in the body of what's called lean body mass, that tends to be associated with lower immunity. I can measure that in five minutes. And that allows me to adjust the nutritional intake in terms of diet to that to improve it and know I've improved it with your help because we can recheck it. And then when you do, you use nutritional supplements on top of these dietary improvements, that's where you maximize your effects of immunity. Sometimes I will use hormones like my DHA50 or my DHA25. I should correct myself, it's DHEA. Now we're talking about adrenal hormone. Earlier we talked about DHA, which is the omega-3. But DHEA, along with pregnenolone, not progesterone, pregnenolone, are hormones that are known to have effects potentially on various aspects of immunity. For example, when the adrenal glands are insufficient, or deficient in some way, they may produce less DHEA. And that's associated with all sorts of different health problems, including increased risk of infection or reduced ability to get over infection once someone has that. And these uh, particular hormones are very well checked on the blood, and blood work is generally covered by insurance. You don't have to spend tons of money on saliva tests, at least not for these hormones. One of my favorite anti-infectious uh, compounds, that, and there's lots of study on this, is the use of uh, green tea. It has a very strong ac antibacterial activity, and it's because of a particular ingredient in it that you may have heard of called EGCG, or epigallocatechin 3 gallate. What a mouthful that is, EGCG. So I'll tend to have a patient start my green tea extract at one twice a day. Now, anyone seriously wishing to improve their immunity so that they may reduce their susceptibility to uh, infections and bacterial-resistant organisms must have adequate protein. So I've designed what's called Detox 5. And, and just to be brief, it's an organic brown rice product. We need bioavailable proteins to build immunoglobins and immunity. And, and no conversation about improving immunity and general health could be complete unless it contains some mention of vitamin C. I use, for most of my patients, a buffered powdered vitamin C that easily dissolves in liquid called Detox Eliminate. So I've chosen this because of how buffered it is. If you take buffered C in the body, by the way, this is not going to make you alkaline in all of your body. That's not normal. That's not okay. You do want to take a buffered C, though, uh, if you are deficient in vitamin C in your urine, certainly, if not your blood. And buffered vitamin C tends to be very easy on the gastrointestinal tract as opposed to ascorbic acid. I go through a procedure with my patients called a vitamin C flush that helps more op optimally determine an individual's 
gut a tolerance to the highest dose of vitamin C possible because that's what you want. You don't, you don't want to do half of a job. You want to do it fully. And then, or I will place a person on about a level teaspoon of my detox eliminate buffered sea powder per day. If you have a slightly loose stool with that dose, you just cut down by about a third and you titrate the dose for yourself. And, and finally for today, one of the products that helps in my mind really complete the basic protocol of nutritional enhancement is the use of my immune balance product. Now, it says immune balance. It has various uh, herbs and plant products, including curcumin and beta-glucan and red raspberry juice and a specific type of vitamin E called the D-alpha-tocopherol part. It contains the right sort of selenium uh, and, and rhubarb and burdock and sheep sorrel, for example, and grapeseed, mushroom complex. It sounds like it wouldn't need anything else, but that's not true. Uh, you, I start with these things and then I personalize them with individuals. I want to thank you for joining me today. My name is Dr. Michael Walden. I'm the director of Longevity Services at Integrated Nutrition of Mount Kisco. For those of you who would like to speak with me for distance consults or in-person consults, my number is 914-242-8844. Leave me a message. Email me your show topics at info at blooddetective.com. I trust that this uh, show topic was useful for you. And the next one, don't miss it, is called Health Reformation. With all this nonsense and craziness we're hearing about healthcare reform, I think we need to focus on improving our health on a daily basis, transforming our health on a whole new level. And that's what I call health reformation. Please join me every Saturday at 1 o'clock on PRNFM.com. And you can listen to these shows on my blog at my website at www.integratednutritionny.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Show me.